not gonna lie, because I thought it was gonna be whack, and it ended up being good, and that's maybe because just I thought it was gonna be whack. But that Jamie Foxx vampire. Oh, I look at that every time, and I go, I like vampires. You should. I like Jamie nah, Foxx. I fear you. And yeah, but I don't know. But, but I think because I said thought like you, I think it ended up being good enough. Good. Yeah, if not actually good. All right, I'm gonna watch it. <laughs> I like, but I do like the that they don't advertise and the the white guy being he's a funny dude and he looks like uh, James yeah James Franco's cousin right or oh brother yeah, Dave yeah funny dude yeah yeah, yeah I, I like, like him, an though. annoying voice a little like, hey I'm yeah, Dave Franco and he's in that movie I like Dave Franco he played did you watch the movie that's about the room Mm-mm. called the Disaster Artist. Mm-mm. Very funny if you've seen the room, but he plays the Greg, and his brother plays like the creepy guy, the Tommy Wiseau, the guy that made the movie. Who's a better actor, James? God, they're or... both good, but probably James, just because he's had more roles. Maybe he's got more depth. I, 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 you know, I'm not my, hating. You know, motherfuckers didn't respect James Franco at one point. I didn't. I didn't. I was like, what, the, the guy from you. Freaks and Geeks? <clears throat> I like Great. James, though. Freaks Hell yeah. I never seen, yes, I have seen Freaks and Geeks. At least a couple of episodes, bro. That's how Judd Apatow got yeah. his start. That's and then a long he time just, ago. Fuck yeah. And then he exploded and just made everything. Man, they, and they launched a million careers they along the way. Put us on, Apatow. Get me on there, Apatow. Yeah, dude. I've seen this stand up. Also been watching Vinland Saga on Netflix. It's an anime about pagan vikings that are like taking over england the christians and is stuff it, is it straight it's straight uh, okay cool some vikings fucking some shit up it's uh, pretty cool there's real shit going on yeah but also yeah. like a dumb anime story mm-hmm. too what about but that? it's cool did you start uh, the house of dragons or you wasn't you wasn't doing <sighs> man i watched the first 10 minutes and i bounced off it. but i'm gonna try it again yeah wait till a few episodes come out that's exactly yeah. it because when game of thrones first came out it was like way too many characters being thrown at me all mm-hmm. at once and i was like i'm never gonna it, be able it, to it keep is. this straight it is a lot of characters mm-hmm. at once. Mm-hmm. it's like a shitload of different storylines at the same time well, that'll do it yeah, for now. Yeah, exactly. Let's get down to business. Yes, sir. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bumblebutt Podcast X. X, X. My name is Adam. A-bomb. And that is Herschel. H-bomb. Today, boys, we're going to get in there. Are you? How excited are you? Get in there, swimwear. Let's go. In early 1998, police in Spokane, Washington area knew they had a serial killer active. Since late summer 97, seven women had turned up murdered. Initially, the police believed the notorious Green River Killer had found himself a new hunting ground, but that was just speculation as the victims were all female and most of them were prostitutes. Mm, Nobody cares about the prostitutes. Always. They're a great victim if you're looking to kill. (laughs) <laughs> that sounds give, bad yeah thanks but, for giving them the playbook yeah. god that was a uh, was terribly worded thanks A-bomb. we needed that one man that particular hot gossip cooled right off because this killer's mo was quite different from the notorious green river killers mm. i know you've at least heard the name green river mm-hmm, killer of course one day we'll get after it The first indication that this new killer was haunting the area occurred all the way back. Cast your mind all the way back about nine years to February 22nd, 1990 at 8.30 a.m. The Spokane PD Homicide Division was called to the 4100 block of East Upriver Drive Mm -hmm. and a nude black female was lying half over the embankment near the Spokane River. Detectives confirmed the responding officer's findings that the young woman had been shot numerous times and the size of the entrance wounds indicated a small caliber gun was used. Widespread search of the area failed to turn up anything else relating to the victim. Dude, shooting somebody multiple times has got to raise some red flags, right? Especially with a small caliber weapon. Yeah, that's just you doing this on purpose almost. Like, like a twenty-two. Yeah. The search also failed in turning up any bullets or spent casings, mm-hmm. which meant one of three things. The killer took care to clean up after himself, he used a revolver, or he killed the victim at another location and dumped them here. All that was found with the body was her green wig, a military-style green blanket, and a white towel. Hmm. After a few details about their Jane Doe were fed to the press, the victim was ID'd as 26-year-old Yolanda Sapp. 
Sap mm. had a history of prostitution arrests and was a known drug user, particularly mm. crack. She was last seen two days ago on the 3200 block of East Sprague, which is a known skid row. So prostitutes, burnouts, druggies all hang out there. Mm. Amsterdam. Amsterdam. Maybe not as worse as Amsterdam. Obvious. Yeah. Yeah, that shit was. I mean, he would have been federally arrested. Bunny. Yeah. For, like, uh, yeah. sanctioning that, for legalizing drugs. But it's too many heads with a road. That's such a good storyline. Yeah. Did you ever finish uh, We Own the City? One more. That's a good show. It's though. good. It is good. It's good. I gave it too much shit at first in my head That's, for no, not being no the wire. The wire. But yeah, we gotta. But we gotta stop that. We do. We gotta stop. That. That's not his fault that it's, it's not yeah. the wire. And plus, it's now. Yeah. Yeah. And that was then. And this is a, you know a little more grounded, a little more real life because it's based on events. You know. Mm, mm. Yolanda was wearing black jeans, black flats, black panties, a black T-shirt, and a beige rabbit fur coat when she was last seen. None of these were recovered. After interviewing those close to Yolanda, it was determined that nine bracelets were missing, as were a silver chain necklace, two rings, and a denim purse. As would happen with all future victims, swabs were taken orally, anally, and vaginally, mm-hmm. and hair and fiber samples would be collected. Oh, damn, they did the full workup. They have to. They Luckily, they knew already that this could be a serial case, so mm. instead of fucking around... Yeah, and, they just went on here and did what they were Let's collect to. it, yeah. Well, no, that's... Hey. Let's do our job. Seriously. How many times does it take seven girls before they start yeah. collecting shit? Just a quick scooch past a month later. On March 25th, 1990, the Spokane PD was called out to the 3200 block of South Riverton. There was a body found shortly after 6 a.m. She was a white female and she'd been shot to death. Eventually, she would be ID'd as 34-year-old Nikki I. Lowe, Hmm. who, like Yolanda Sapp before her, had a history of prostitution and drug abuse. Hmm. Lowe was last seen the day before in the East Sprague area of Spokane. Same shit. mm -hmm. They need to get them a detective, be an undercover out there ASAP. Like a sting team. Yeah. Yeah. During the autopsy, a 22 caliber bullet was retrieved out of her body, mostly intact, and it was noted that Nikki's body smelled strongly of motor oil. Hmm. Toxicology reports confirmed cocaine metabolites in her blood. Detectives were certain that whoever killed Nikki had killed Yolanda, but as far as proving it went, mm-hmm. they made very little headway over the next seven weeks. No more bodies were found, and that left investigators wondering if their killer had moved on to better hunting grounds. Nope. Tuesday, May 15th, 1990, Spokane County Sheriff's Department responded to a body found near the banks of the river in the Trent and Pines area. Is that, that, that more suburban? Yep. This is, uh, you know, like uh, I looked it up on Google. It mm. looks like there's like a tire shop right there where she was found. A uh, couple houses, you know, seems pretty regular. Victim was a white female, completely naked except for the rings on her fingers. Mm. She was bruised and cut up around the face and head, leading investigators to believe she'd been beaten with a blunt object. They also found gunshot wounds. She was ID'd as 38-year-old Kathleen Brisbois. Toxicology found cocaine and heroin in her system. Bullets were recovered and sent to forensics. Investigators believe she'd been on the clock as a prostitute at the time of her demise. Mm -hmm. It was a worst-case scenario, DEFCON 1, for residents of the community. There was an active serial killer, and the police didn't know shit about how to stop it. The gripping fear would soon fade as days turned to months, then two years passed without Mm. another victim. Damn, two? Detectives chose to believe their serial killer had definitely moved on and was likely (laughs) dropping bodies in another jurisdiction. They were likely to keep saying that. Now he gone. He, he's definitely like, gone. dude. The hunting ground is there, bro, and it's free. Yeah, and he showed you that. It's the same shit. You ain't caught him. It's still there, y'all. He's exposed you mm-hmm. as yeah. weak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On Wednesday, May thirteenth, nineteen ninety-two, he returned. A nude female body was found on Bill Gulch Road. Mm-hmm. There was a plastic bag covering her head, and shoes and other articles of clothing were found near the body. Crime scene analysts found what they thought was a bullet near the body, but there was no spent shell casings. Hmm. There was no significant sign of struggle and no blood pooling, indicating that this was the secondary scene and she had been killed elsewhere. Mm. 
Gunshot wounds were the cause of death, as with the others. Bullets were taken from the body along with hair, fiber, and swabs. Fingerprints ID'd her as Sherry Ann Palmer, 19, and the youngest victim to date. Mm-hmm. Witnesses report Sherry had last been seen leaving Al's Motel, which, you guessed it, an hourly place that was used as a bang shack. Mm-hmm. A sketch, sketch mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. Police learned that she'd left in a taxi to meet up with her boyfriend, but she never arrived at the date. Hmm. Even though she was a known prostitute, she said nope to dope and ugh to drugs. Even though she was a known prostitute. <laughs> she didn't use. She didn't That's... drink. She didn't use. If you keep being a prostitute. You might start. You're, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's eventually you're going to do something. That could, that could be, especially if you're in like Skid Row areas. Yeah. Now, if any prostitutes listen to this and they, no, don't talk about prostitutes. They could be clean. I don't think that'll happen. No, I don't think no prostitutes. No. They can be like, no, nah, you, you probably agree with yeah. me. You got to do something to suck some cock all day, right? I would think so. Yeah. I know I do. More than three <laughs> years would pass before another victim surfaced that could be credited to the killer. By then... Finally and thankfully, Spokane detectives began speaking with other cities to Mm -hmm. see if any similarities popped up. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. all they had in their jurisdictions as far as similarities went were dead prostitutes killed with small caliber firearms Mm -hmm. and dumped in various locations. On Friday, August 25th, 1995, the body of 60-year-old white woman Patricia Barnes was found all the way across the state of Washington in Kitsap County. Kitsap Sheriff's Deputy Trogdon was called to the scene, and he noted that the body was partially covered by plants that were brought from a different area. He also noted a number of hair curlers at the scene, but there was little else to go on. About a mile from Barnes' body, Trogdon found another pile of plant life that didn't belong. Mm -hmm. When forensics got on site, they found the same style of hair curlers actually on the body and two bloody plastic bags. Mm. So he's getting sloppy. Because the last two ones, there was something left. Mm -hmm. Or somebody frightened him. Ooh, that could be too. And he got to get the fuck up out of there. And I don't know how to take hair curlers out of hair. That probably takes a long time. It probably takes a long time. <laughs> get it out of there. Yeah. You know what? You're right. I don't, I don't know. know how to get it out neither. I, I was going to say get a comb. It probably, probably try to snatch them bitches out. Sounds like you'd rip hair. Ah, Not that he cares. Barnes was last seen alive three days ago on August 22nd in Seattle, and she'd been wearing those curlers in her hair mm. when she was seen. Mm. Patricia was in and out of being homeless and was known as a street person, but she had no known links to prostitution or illegal drugs. Her poison was drinking, and she used it to numb the pain, and it was found in her system at mm. autopsy. And she probably was a little... Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Nuts. Also found by the ME and Patricia were two twenty-two caliber bullets. Pretty much everything was checked off on Trogdon's yeah. bingo card for this being the work of the Spokane killer. He said bingo. Exactly. <laughs> I, like, I didn't even need to use my free yeah. space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this motherfucker is <laughs> too funny, man. So he immediately called the head of the Spokane PD serial killer task force, mm-hmm. Detective Marvin R. Hill. When Hill took a glance at the similarities... There was no doubt that he and Trogdon the Depunator were looking for the same guy. Ten months after Patricia was killed, the Spokane killer returned home. On Friday, June 14, 1996, the decomposed body of 39-year-old Shannon Zelinsky was found at the intersection of Mount Spokane Park Drive and Holcomb Road. Pretty uh, secluded, I would say a little bit secluded. This victim bucked the trend of all the others. She was found in a short gray dress instead of in the nude. A towel was wrapped around her torso, and a pair of pantyhose, white socks, and one knee-high black boot were all found nearby. A shell casing was recovered from the scene, but like the others, there was no blood pooling or sign of a struggle, making detectives think this was the dump site. Toxicology was not an option with Zelensky, as she was too far decomposed. But based on Detective Hill's follow-up investigation, we can assume she was a prostitute and was known to use drugs. And known to use drugs. Zelinsky was last seen on a street corner in Spokane on May 27th at about 1 p.m., drinking from paper bags with a bunch of dudes. <laughs> the group was broken up and forced off the block by police, 
but obviously no arrests were made. And just just sweeping <laughs> them no, along. No arrests were made. <laughs> you funny, man. And they all came back and finished. Exactly. Yeah. Kept drinking, yeah. kept talking. Yeah. That same evening, witnesses remember her leaving a bar to go start her shift on the corner. Mm-hmm. She was wearing the gray dress, white socks, and black boots that were found at the hey, scene. bro, why are you so funny? <laughs> a star to shift on the corner is to start her shift. What else are you going to call it? <laughs> just say like she started well, i don't know but start your shift like this is an actual she's social, working like this is a social security she job. probably works harder than i do dude she had to take a drug test to get this she <laughs> yeah to, like, she better be on drugs yeah, to get this job yeah, you gotta you gotta be on drugs you must be this high to get yeah, this job taking a drug test <laughs> i'm sorry you're sober you cannot you work, work here <laughs> More than a year later, August 26, 1997, Spokane detectives had a hell of a day. Mm. Two bodies were discovered. The first was 20-year-old Heather Hernandez, a known prostitute. Her decomposing remains were found in a field in Spokane dressed only in her shirt and bra. Mm. There was no other clothing or personal effects in the area, but Detective Hill did notice a trail of blood leading from the parking lot to the body, meaning she was dragged. Like the others, the cause of death was determined to be gunshot. Across the way in another part of Spokane, Detective Rick Grabenstein of the task force investigated an Asian female body on Forker Road. She would later be ID'd as 16-year-old Jennifer Joseph, new youngest victim. CSI recovered a light blue towel, a blouse that was missing one mother-of-pearl button, a pair of leather pants and shoes, piece of a car antenna, and a used condom. Cause of death, gunshot wounds. During autopsy, it was revealed that Jennifer's finger and toenail polish used glitter. Remnants of that were found all over her body. She had three stud earrings in her left ear, Mm -hmm. and she had the piercings for a matching three in her right, Mm -hmm. but only two were inserted. One was dislodged and ripped out at her end-of-life altercation. Also, one set of false eyelashes were missing for the Mm -hmm. same reason. Mm. Detective Gravenstein conferred with other prostitutes in the area, and as best as he could determine, the last time anybody beside the killer had eyes on her was 10 days earlier on August 16th at 11.35 p.m. The witness prostitute saw Jennifer in the company of a white man, approximately 30 to 40 years old, in a car she believed to be a white Corvette. Mm -hmm. This car would be the first real lead in the case as far as suspects go. The investigation into the prostitute murders really was all out. I know a lot of times I say they do a bad job, but Mm. this time it really did feel like when I was reading, Mm. they were chasing down uh, almost every possible lead they could. Mm. It's not like they were forgotten about people this time. Mm. They was getting, they even motherfuckers that don't even got nothing to do with it they was talking to. Yeah. They were, they were really, their follow-up investigations were actually thorough instead of sometimes they drive to people's houses, knock on the door, and then go home. I mean, honestly, they would have to do this because it seemed like dude is really just fucking with him. He's going, yeah. Because he's leaving these motherfuckers where you could get them. With, like, foreign plants. And yeah, by bro. foreign, I mean just, like, from different parts of the state. Yeah. Undercover sting teams were everywhere trying to find this guy. But. A regular old beat cop would be the first to make contact with our guy, Robert L. Yates Jr., Mm. aged 45. Mm. Yates was driving a 1977 white Corvette with Washington plates when he was pulled over for a minor traffic infraction, Mm. turning without a signal. And that was on September 24th, 97. He was ticketed and allowed to go on about his day. It's a nice car, too. The connection between the Corvette and the witness... Mm-hmm. would initially go unnoticed as the dipshit officer wrote Camaro on the citation. This would not be found until several more bodies were dropped and the task force checked the VIN on this supposed 1977 Camaro. Camaro fucking idiot. <sighs> Because she saw her You're... in the vicinity of a 30 to 40 year old pockmarked white male, which is exactly what this guy was. What the fuck is wrong with this dude? I don't know how you don't That's, know the difference. Yeah, this is, ba- well, this is basic shit too. Though. Basic. Camaro Corvette. They yeah. look very different. Well, he probably wasn't a car guy though. God. It's got to be, right? Not a car guy? It has to be. Yeah. And this was 90, past 1997. So yeah, he might not have been. He probably was one of those. Yeah. Corvettes are small and sleek. I, I like Corvettes. Yeah, Stingrays, baby. Mm-hmm. And Camaros is bulky. Yeah, more muscly. Mm-hmm. Even they're both especially, muscly. Especially the, the 70s version. Definitely. On November 5th, 1997, 
A local stumbled upon the decomposing corpse of 29-year-old Darla Sue Scott on Hangman Valley Road. She was buried by a small stream in an incredibly shallow grave, like eight inches. She was completely naked and no clothing was found at the scene with the exception of a blue blouse. Darla Sue had a long history of drug and prostitution arrests and she'd been shot to death with a small caliber gun. Mm -hmm. A month later, a body was found 300 miles away in Tacoma that matched the serial killer. On December 7th, Tacoma PD were dispatched to investigate a nude female body on South Adams Street. Mm. The victim was partially covered by brush near the road, and she had what was believed to be her clothing strewn all over her body. She had a plastic bag over her head, and a spent 25 caliber shell was found at the scene. So a little mix, like not not the 22 here, but a 25. And he was throwing clothes all over her, which is not his normal thing. It's usually very minimal things are found. I can't wait to hear this, what this dude's, like, you know How he I mean? fucks up. If they do. Well, yeah. no, nah, just like, you know how you do it once they get him in jail, then you start explaining it. I, dude, I can't, like, like what's, what's, what's God, he's such yeah. an asshole. Yeah. Like, dude, like, for real, though, he's really fucking with these dudes. Yeah. And he's that, taking them on a ride. He's, he's a, Mr. Toad's like a, Wild Ride. Like my boy from um the Riddler from the new one. Yeah, from the new The Batman. Yeah, yeah, which is good. I did like it. This Tacoma victim was subsequently ID'd as 34-year-old Melinda L. Mercer. Anyone that knew Melinda knew that she was not far away from her designer purse, of which she was incredibly proud to flaunt. Mm-hmm. That, as well as the items from the other victims that had never been recovered, prompted the task force to believe they were dealing with a trophy-collecting killer. Mm. Melinda Mercer was last seen alive in the parking lot of a QCF grocery store in Seattle in the company of a man driving a newer model black to burgundy-colored minivan. She had a history of prostitution and drug abuse, toxicology showed, opiates and coke in her system. She died from small-caliber gun wounds. Mm. A week before Christmas 97, another body was found in the same area of Spokane that Darla Sue had been found. The body was fully clothed with plastic bags wrapped around her head and had been tossed over the edge of a steep embankment where it rolled down the hill and came to a stop about 25 feet from the nearest road. Damn. This body was ID'd as 36-year-old Shauna L. Johnson, who was last seen leaving a house on October 17th, two months previous, hmm. to go work the streets. <laughs> Several hairs and fibers were recovered and sent to the state police lab. Of course, she'd mm-hmm. been shot to death. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's using a pistol, because a twenty-two, because you can't really hear the twenty-two like that. I know. Actually, I was getting shot at at a, by a twenty-two, and you didn't, didn't even, even know what was going on, was, did you? I didn't even know I was being shot at right? until you heard like. Ping, ping. I'm sure. Yeah. Until you heard the actual bullets hit and shit. It's a, it's a, actually, somebody said, man, they shooting at us, and then I turned, and these motherfuckers are shooting at us. Did they hit anybody? No. They're terrible shots. They was they was far too. Oh, were they? Yeah, them they, them bullets probably didn't even make it over there. Bro. <laughs> just like fell down. Yeah, <laughs> or they was just hitting. They was you know you know how it goes. It don't, it's not accurate anymore. Mm-mm. Yeah, I'm just I just thank God though, bro. I didn't get hit by that. Hell yeah. Because I and just to let this be known, I that wasn't nothing that I was involved. Of in. course, not. I was just there and just so happened I got dumped on. You were. I mean, yeah. you were in that environment but you weren't part yeah, of that, that environment yeah, yeah you were just hanging out yeah i stopped hanging out well you you escaped didn't <laughs> you? you escaped yeah for real <laughs> you harriet tubman down yep. up here didn't you? yeah for real up here <laughs> shauna was supposed to have called a roommate the night before she disappeared but failed to do so mm. and wasn't seen again until the body was found Shauna's car was found in a Kmart parking lot just two days after her disappearance and reported as abandoned by an employee. Thankfully, nobody did anything with it or about it, and it just sat there until it was taken into evidence on December 23rd. And Kmart in the 90s were cracking, bro. Blue light special. (laughs) Yep. Two more white women were found dead the day after Christmas 97 on East 14th in Spokane. Unlike most of the previous bodies, these two were fully clothed, except both were missing their shoes. Mm -hmm. Investigators discovered a wide array of vegetation on the bodies that didn't belong. In addition to the plant life, CSI found soil, rocks, concrete pieces, wood pieces, white paint chips, a red-dyed feather, 
peanut shells, cherry pits, and a plastic plant ID tag like you'd get at a garden center that read Sweet William. Bro. The two women were ID'd as... The two women were ID'd as Cavril Watson, 31, and Sean McClenahan, 39. Weird name, I know, but that's... uh, Actually, they're both weird names. Cavril and Sean. This motherfucker ramping this shit the fuck up, dog. Both victims had three plastic bags tied over their heads, and Mm -hmm. autopsy showed that both had been shot to death. As with the others, it was believed this was the secondary scene. Also, Cavril was wearing a black trench coat when she was last seen. Sean was wearing a blue nylon coat. Both were missing from the bodies. Mm -hmm. Right now, the police believe that they were likely added to the Sicko's trophy collection. So he was probably making his own bullets too, huh? I mean, with 22s and stuff, like, you buy them by the bucket. Like, you buy oh, them by the okay. pail. So they just, like, you can't really trace them because they sold so much of these stupid-ass bullets. Especially back then. Nowadays, you have to provide an ID before you buy mm-hmm. ammo, so they kind of, like, know how much you've bought. Mm-hmm. And a gun. Well, well that's for sure. There's ways around that. Though. Always. Yeah. Always. Gun got to be registered or whatever. Since it appeared that a real effort was made to conceal these women with a large variety of plants and debris, investigators made a note in the file that when they found a suspect, they needed to make a comparison of vegetation and debris found at the suspect's premises, Mm -hmm. since most of it didn't match the dump site. Mm. On Sunday, February 28, 98, a white female was found in a ditch on Graham Road in a rural area of Spokane County. She was ID'd as 41-year-old Sonny G. Oster, Mm -hmm. known addict and prostitute. Sonny was fully clothed, and a pair of shoes were also found near the body. She died of gunshot wounds, and three plastic bags were over her head. The last time Sonny was seen alive was November 1st, 97, while she was working as a prostitute on East Sprague. She had been carrying her beige knockoff coach bag, which was not found at the scene. April 1st, 98, 34-year-old Linda M. Mabin was found on East 14th, only a short distance from the dumping site of Cavrol and Sean in December of 97. Exactly like those two, Linda's body was covered in foreign plant life and debris. Mabin was fully clothed, and there were remnants of a plastic bag around her head. The body was badly decomposed, and hungry animals had already gotten after it. The level of decomp matched up with her last known sighting, which had been all the way back on November 21st, 97, when she had been moved along by a police officer after taking too long talking to a passing motorist. Which, you have to imagine, she was negotiating price. She wasn't reported missing until November 29th, when a Spokane County public health employee that worked with prostitutes reported her missing after she missed two appointments. The fact that Sonny, Cavril, and Sean were all discovered in this area led investigators to believe their killer was using this as a cluster dump site. However, a top-to-bottom search failed to turn up anything else. So they just don't know. They're just making shit up. They is, because I was going to say, that's like the second thing they actually (laughs) found out. Some uh, At least kind of solid information. He's so, like, random. Nah, he just fucking with him, man. He go throw a baby diaper down there, like, here. Peanut shells, yeah, you know, yeah, I, seriously. You fucking around, bro. A Ken Griffey Jr. Ricky baseball card and shit. <laughs> yeah. Follow-up investigation showed that Sonny was a crack user. Friends told detectives that she usually had a pipe on her tucked in her pants near her groin. Mm. However, the pipe was not found. She was also known to carry a velvet crown royal bag, but that too was missing. <laughs> on July 7th, 98, a white female body was discovered in a vacant lot in Spokane. She was ID'd as 47-year-old Michelin Durning, a known prostitute. Her body was partially covered with grass clippings. A piece of styrofoam and two hot tub covers also concealed Michelin's body, which detectives believed had been collected from around the vacant lot. Michelin was nude except for the trash, and her lower denture that was engraved with her name was also missing. Cause of death was gunshot wounds, and toxicology found high levels of methamphetamine in her blood. On October 13th, 98, 35-year-old Connie L. Ellis, sometimes known as Connie LaFontaine, was found on 108th Street all the way back in Tacoma. Mm-hmm. Pierce County Sheriff's Department responded and found the body badly decomposed with three bags tied around the head, covering the gunshot wound. Mm. A 9 millimeter cartridge was found at the scene, which was very strange. Our killer usually preferred 22 mm-hmm. to 25 caliber. Yeah small and quiet. It was determined the cartridge actually belonged to Connie, 
who owned a 9mm, mm. but the gun, however, was not recovered. What, 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 why, Hopefully you, he why took did, it, right? Why didn't you use that motherfucker on him? Maybe she tried. Maybe that's why the shell was found. Maybe she, like, racked it, but no, yeah, she, yeah, he was up yeah. on her. It's a 21-foot rule, I think. Like, if you have a gun... And your target's within 21 feet, I think they have the advantage. Because they can run up on you and yeah. knock the gun out of your hand and stuff like that. So I guess you say it's time to fight. Or pull, fight start pulling that goddamn trigger as hard as you can. <laughs> because everyone in Washington was now aware of the ongoing investigation into murdered prostitutes, Pierce County detectives immediately keyed in the task force. Connie's body brought the official death toll of the Spokane killer to 17 confirmed with God knows how many undiscovered. Ballistic evidence was conducted by Galen Warren of the Columbia International Forensics Laboratory mm -hmm. for all cases attributed to the Spokane killer. Right. In the cases of Nikki Lowe and Kathy Brisbois, Galen said without a doubt they were connected. In his opinion, the same weapon, likely a 22 handgun, was used. The 22 bullets found in victims Patricia Barnes were too badly damaged from passing through tissue and bone to be compared with others. In the case of the victims Hernandez, Watson, Mabin, Johnson, McClanahan, Oster, and Ellis, all of the bullets came back as 25 caliber, likely all fired from the exact same semi-automatic pistol. Mm -hmm. So he's got a 22 revolver, they think, and a 25 caliber mm -hmm. semi-auto. How are those revolvers? Are they pretty, are they pretty loud? At that caliber? Revolvers are definitely loud. That's what I was But thinking. not at like twenty two. They would still be pretty quiet. Okay. Okay. So they, it's still you know, they still snap, but it's yeah. not like the report that Because okay. I would think that the revolver to me, but I don't know guns like that. I would think that the revolver is a little bit more louder than Yeah, because it vents out yeah. on both sides. So that does make it a little louder. Mm -hmm. Okay. Definitely revolvers though, man. They always everybody always say get a revolver though. No showcasings. Mm. Mm. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's all, but it ain't no bullet. <laughs> you, you gotta, you gotta be a hell of a shot, man. I to tell you, you only what. got six. Yeah, so make them better, count, man. The detectives learned that hair and fiber found on each of the victims was from a wide variety of sources, including cat hair, elk hair, and human hair that wasn't theirs. One Asian person's hair and black person's body hairs were found on Barnes' body. Several short, brown, white person head hairs were found on the blue towel recovered with Jennifer Joseph. In addition to the hair evidence, a variety of acrylic fibers of varying colors were found on all of the bodies. Orifice and cavity swabs from the victims Scott, Johnson, Mason, McClenahan, Mercer, Durning, and Oster showed presence of human sperm, as did the condom recovered from Mabin. DNA typing of the sperm showed it all belonged to the same shooter. Although a lot of these victims were in too bad a state of decomposition to get usable DNA samples from, mm -hmm. the DNA typing was a major breakthrough that would enable police to link several murders to a single suspect. But they needed a suspect. They don't got no suspect. Fuck, no, they don't have nothing. Bro, it's, just, it's, it's funny. It wasn't, this dude is really fucking with Right Corvette. Guys. If you're a police, make sure oh, you know what it's called. A lot of these would have not been dead if they would have wrote Corvette instead of Camaro. Camaro. Herschel, I've never visited a prostitute before, but even I know that you have to pay before getting services. Yeah, for sure. That being the case, some of these women should have had at least some money on them, but none of them did. That, coupled with the fact that their purses, IDs, and wallets were missing, indicated that each of these women had been robbed either before or after they were murdered. On November 10th, 98, the Spokane Serial Killer Task Force were out there in force. Look, probably looking like police. <laughs> like aviators man, and mustaches. You, man, they probably was looking like the straight police. He's seen them motherfuckers are turned right back around. I don't think I'll stay home today. Yep, or go get a Tacoma. <laughs> Time to go back to Tacoma. It had been less than a month since Connie Ellis was killed, and they knew he was due to kill again. At 1.25 a.m., Spokane officers observed a white male driving a silver 1985 Honda Civic pull over to the side of the road and pick up known prostitute Jennifer Robinson. Hmm. The officer ID'd the driver as Robert L. Yates Jr., and this encounter would mark the second time his name had come up during this task force investigation. And the way they was on it, yeah, this is one of those leads that you was talking about, the lead, the lead, the lead. Too many bites, yeah. too many nibbles on the line with They're your name popping up. I, I hope so. Shit. 
You got to. This dude is playing with you, bro. When Yates pulled over, he explained to the officer that he'd actually been sent out here to pick up Jennifer by her dad, who was quite worried about her. With Robinson acknowledging that she knew Yates and that he wasn't lying, there wasn't anything the cop could do. Since he couldn't hold them, the cop took a field report and sent it up the chain to the task force. Mm -hmm. Jennifer Robinson was very lucky that Yates got spooked, because it certainly saved her life. As the pages on the calendar dramatically turned to the year 1999, task force detectives became aware of a report that had been filed back on August 1st of 98. The report read that a woman named Christine L. Smith had been the victim of assault and robbery while working as a prostitute. According to what Smith told police, she'd been picked up by a John driving a black van with orange coloring and highlights on the passenger side. She said the van had dark brown vinyl seats and a wood-framed bed with a mattress in the back. Hmm. The driver, Christine said, was a white guy, about 50-ish, 5'10", 175 to 185 pounds, with a medium build. This him. He had sandy blonde hair and a somewhat pockmarked face that was shaved smooth. She said the man didn't seem nervous, smell like alcohol, or act intoxicated, which were very common amongst her customers. Mm. They're going to be a little tuned up when they go mm. see the prostitute. Yeah, yeah. You got to see how you're going to cheat on your wife. You got to bury that yeah, shame somehow, yeah, right? Yeah. Whew. After settling on a price of $40 for oral sex, she had Yates drive to a rarely used parking lot behind a free clinic. They parked and went to the rear of the van, where she performed oral on him for about seven minutes. During that time, he did not achieve erection. Then he smashed her over the head with something, but she wasn't sure what. She struggled to remain conscious as she fell backwards. The man started screaming to return his money as she blindly felt for the door handle on the rear passenger door. To her dismay, it had been removed. She made her way to the front of the van, and with blood gushing out of her head, she got out the front passenger door and hit the ground running. Smith made it to the nearby St. Luke's Free Clinic, where a security guard kept her safe and drove her to Sacred Heart Hospital, where she received three mm. stitches to close a half-inch gash behind her left ear. Mm. They, they kind of forget about this until trial comes around, until Yates' trial comes around. She wasn't hit over the head with anything. She was shot in the head with a twenty-two. Damn. She had no idea. She thought she was whacked over the head. Yeah. She heard a whack, whack and then and everything went dark. Uh, they didn't find out until... Three years later, when they took an x-ray and found shattered bullet in her fucking brain. So, wait. They just closed up. They thought that he whacked her over the head with something. They just went off what she said. Yep, and they just sewed it up. So, they wasn't being doctors. I guess not. That's not what doctors do, bro. You you just, you you taking Google. You're just being a butcher. Yeah. Like, come on, stop it. (laughs) These motherfuckers, bro. And this is the 299, right? Yep. (laughs) After being discharged from the hospital, she contacted the police and explained the situation. Upon follow-up with the task force, she was not able to provide a positive ID of her attacker. Mm -hmm. They showed her a photo array of uh, sandy-haired, pockmarked men, and she couldn't pick out the exact one. Probably because she'd been shot in the fucking fucking head. head, Thank you. How the fuck you... It's, this is advanced. We got advanced, like... Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> yeah, that too, though. I know. But with the the doctor work and shit, like, dude, we got shit Oh, yeah. This time, it's bro. 90... August yeah. 1st, 98. That's like, when the man, attack happened, like, yeah. Man, like, and you, all you said was, oh, yeah, you got hit in the head. You didn't you x-ray her or nothing? Wouldn't the bullet fragments show up in an x-ray? Or do you just take her word that she got mm. smacked? They felt around. They're like, mm, nothing broken. But it, but it, but still, she was being attacked. Exactly. You, that should all be taken into account. Yep. Oh, all right. We good. <clears throat> As things progressed, the task force grew more and more convinced Yates was their boy. Mm. He fit the general appearance of Smith's attacker, including age, appearance, and pockmarked face. He drove a white Corvette and a Honda Civic, both he'd been seen in. And then they learned that he was a highly decorated National Guardsman who flew recon helicopters. On September 14, 1999, one of the task force detectives visited Yates' home at 2220 East Spokane. He was either not home or not answering, so the detective left a note for him to call the task force director, Marvin Hill, as soon as humanly possible. Mm, dude, they waiting outside for this motherfucker. Guess what? Yates did just that. Called the same day. <laughs> 
Plans were made for him to come in and meet with Hill and other detectives at the public safety building the next day. Mm. When he arrived, he was greeted in the lobby, and the first thing investigators noticed were his light brown hair, his pockmarks, and for some reason, he was dumping sweat. Yates was taken to a spare office, and cops informed him his name had serviced in connection with the serial killer investigation. They said he wasn't being considered a suspect at this time, he did not have to answer any questions, mm. and he was free to walk right the fuck out anytime he wanted. Mm -hmm. Yates verbally acknowledged that he understood, and away they went. First line of questioning was about the contact he'd had with police and the prostitute Jennifer Robinson on November 10th, 98. Yates basically reiterated his story that the girl's father had sent him out on the search for Jennifer. Mm -hmm. It was a fairly common excuse when a John was pulled over with a prostitute, and the interrogators told him as much. Mm -hmm. Still, Yates stuck to his story. Mm -hmm. When asked the girl's name, Yates couldn't quite recall, but he was thinking possibly Jennifer. Okay, lucky guess. Then, what was Jennifer's father's name, who'd sent Yates on the hunt? He had absolutely no idea what this man's name was. <laughs> when asked how he knew Jennifer's father, mm. Yates claimed the two had been co-workers for a short time. Mm. Yates continued answering their questions, claiming to have driven her all the way to her home, which was about two blocks off Mission Ave. You know you done fucked up, right? I, I, I can't imagine what it feels like to have the noose tightening. Where you know you're like, oh, fuck, this is unraveling. Yeah, because at that point, he's you better off not calling him <laughs> and going into the office. At this you, point, I'd say, I, I think yeah. I'm going to stop answering these questions. Yeah, get a lawyer. But they got you, though. It's Either way it goes, they got yeah, you. Right? Yeah. The detectives were very blunt considering Yates was there of his own free will. They said they didn't believe him in the slightest and reiterated that prostitution, drugs, and other piddly shit was not what they were looking for, mm. and there would be carte blanche forgiveness for any of those offenses. Oh, okay. Just say you was fucking, fucking these hoes. Yeah, who cares? You're using prostitutes. That's not what we're looking for. Because I would have been like, yeah. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, bro. I was All right, fine. Yeah. yeah. I was trying to get a blowjob from yeah. Jennifer. Yeah. I don't know her name, bro. Yeah. I don't know her dad. I never yeah. worked with him. Nope. Detectives went on, stressing that their focus was the murders only, and lying to them would only arouse suspicion towards mm -hmm. him as a suspect. Mm -hmm. To rattle Yates a little more, they said after this they were going to contact Jennifer's dad to validate the story. Yates still stuck to it. Mm -hmm. Next, they asked him to list all the cars he's owned in the last 10 years. The only ones he really talked about were the white Corvette, the silver Honda Civic, and a silver Accord of, uh, it was 1985, just like the Civic. Those were the ones he'd been actually seen in by police. Right. But like the van, he's basically just not going to give that away until yeah. they figure it out first. When asked about any contact he'd made with prostitutes, Yates said there was one incident in the fall of 98. He picked up a female hitchhiker because it was fucking freezing outside. When she got in, she propositioned him. He said, no thank you and she asked to be let off about a mile away. Mm -hmm. He said he'd not been involved with any other prostitutes here in the States, but he had used them plenty while he was stationed overseas in Germany. They asked Yates if he would voluntarily provide a sample of his blood. Yates decided to end the interview right there, saying he'd like to discuss this further with his wife. Oh yeah, he's got a wife. Mm. And he'd call them with their decision. Surprisingly, mm. he did call that night, saying it would not be in his best interest to provide that sample. Mm. He's smart. Get up out of there. Robert Yates Jr. led a relatively mundane existence, tent-pulled by his exemplary military service. He was the father of four daughters and a son. As a youngster, Yates grew up on Whidbey Island, Washington, and his mom died while he was in high school. Records indicate Yates was repeatedly sexually abused by an older boy when he was about six years old. Mm -hmm. After high school, he enrolled in Walla Walla College, but dropped out after two years. In 1975, he got a job at Walla Walla's more famous institution, mm -hmm. the Washington State Prison, as a guard, but he only made it six months. Mm. Next year, he married a nice young woman named Linda and later enlisted in the Army, where he served proudly for 19 years as a helicopter pilot, leaving less than a year before being eligible for retirement. He flew a recon helicopter, specifically an OH-58D Kiowa Warrior. Mm. Yates was stationed in Germany for a time, participated in Desert Storm, helped in rescue efforts after Hurricane Andrew, and even flew peacekeeping missions for the UN in Somalia, drawing out Yasin's fire so they could be spotted. I mean the enemies. <laughs> Not only did Yates hold a military pilot's license, 
He was also rated to fly commercial transport helicopters and planes. Mm. He was highly decorated, received mm. a number of distinguished awards, including three Meritus Service Medals, three Army Commendation Medals, and two Armed Forces Expeditionary Medals. Mm -hmm. After his honorable discharge, he went to work for Pantrol, an aluminum smelting factory, and also joined up with the Washington National Guard. He was integral to the Guard, as he was the only one for hundreds of miles that could fly the Kiowa Warrior. Mm. His brothers and sisters in arms remember him as a consummate professional, brave, and incredibly proficient. Mm -hmm. While investigating his service record, detectives discovered there was a period of one year from spring 97 to spring 98 where he was grounded pending a medical eval. This coincided with the brunt of the prostitute murders, prompting detectives to posit whether or not being grounded reignited his murderous rages. This was purely speculation. It was never actually proven. Right. I mean, but you got to connect somehow. You got to find yeah. dots somewhere, yeah. right? You got to, bro. As Yates's wife, Linda, was questioned, she came forward with info that her husband had been out late one night. In fact, it was all the way to the morning. There was a lot of blood in the rear of his black van. Linda opened the house for him at 6.30 a.m. as he didn't have his keys, and he walked straight past her to the cleaning supplies. Linda followed him in her robe back out to the van, and the entire bed area and cushions were soaked with blood. Yates told her he'd hit a dog while driving home, put it in the back seat to take it to the vet. On the way, the dog climbed on the bed and bled all over the place. She said he removed the cushion, destroyed it, and replaced it that very same day. Open the door. He didn't even hug, didn't kiss her. He just said, ooh, bitch. I gotta get these this Clorox. I'm assuming that's what they use to clean up blood. The day after Yates' voluntary interview with the task force, those same detectives contacted Jennifer Robinson. Mm -hmm. She told them she remembered the incident where she and Yates were pulled over perfectly. They'd come to an agreement for her to blow him for $20. She said that when the cops stopped them, she's the one that told him to tell the cops the father story. She went on saying her father didn't even live in Washington, and he certainly had never been a co-worker of Yates. Mm. Slam dunk for detectives, that was proof Yates had lied. They could bump him right up the suspects list. Mm. They decided the next step was to question the new owner of the white Corvette. The new owner told police she'd purchased the car from Yates in May of 98. Title records back that up and show that Yates had been the owner from September 94 to May of 98. Mm-hmm. She recalled to the police that Yates said he'd changed the carpets in 97. She consented to a deep search of her car, during which several fiber samples were taken and sent to the Washington State Crime Lab. Mm -hmm. Evidence from inside the car indicated that the carpeting had actually been replaced twice, not once, over a two-year period while owned by Yates. Now, Herschel, as current and former car care professionals, we know that it's not a common thing to reupholster yeah. your vehicle. Yeah. Twice. It's very expensive. Yeah. You would uh, scrub on the stain, and eventually you'd probably just give up on it. Uh, and just and accept it as a stain. And, or just spray it with something to blend yeah. it in. You're not going to reupholster your vehicle twice for it's spilling not, a cup not, of coffee. Not twice. No. You try to clean that bitch out, and if it, like you said, if it don't come out, we just finna have a... Maybe if there's dead prostitute all yeah, over yeah, the back we, of it. We're definitely, we're definitely changing yeah. upholstery. Yeah. Yes. We getting on YouTube. Figuring it out. <laughs> That's why he did it How twice. How to upholster. Unfortunately, it was 99 or whatever. He couldn't do it. Yeah. On January 14th, 2000, task force investigators questioned Yates' former boss at Pantrol. He said he remembered Yates driving a plethora of vehicles, including a mid-80s Ford pickup and a minivan. He couldn't remember the van well enough to describe it, and he said Yates had gotten it almost immediately before leaving the company in June of 98. Hmm. So all these vehicles were registered to him. The police were going to find out eventually. Yeah, they just hadn't ran the DMV yet. Yeah, because he went on the suspect list. Mm -hmm. On April 5th, 2000, forensic scientist Kevin Jenkins told the task force detectives that the fibers recovered from the Corvette closely matched fibers recovered during the Jennifer Joseph murder investigation. One group of fibers, nylon, Jenkins said, was identical both visually and microscopically with regard to color, texture, and shape. That's fucking fantastic evidence. Mm -hmm. Another group of fibers, although lighter and of a slightly different color, were also similar to a fiber recovered during the Joseph mm -hmm. investigation. 
Believing that additional evidence related to the Joseph murder might be found inside the Corvette task force, this time they obtained a search warrant for the car yep. and impounded it mm-hmm. from its current owner. That's why he went to go clean that bitch super fast. I'm sure he. I'm sure she felt. Uh, I'm. Or, you know. I'm sure the cops felt bad because they got her permission. They did all those testings mm-hmm. and were like, "All right, you're probably good now." then they show up with a warrant sorry we gotta tow it away we gotta tow it back for and that's evidence the, the vet right yep that's the corvette that poor lady i shouldn't have never yep. got involved with you motherfucker God i should have just it. said no yep yep it's too good to be true that's man dude that's sad and the police man you know they gonna keep that shit for hell years, yeah bro. hell yeah and do you want it back if girls were murdered inside of it yeah. probably not yeah. <laughs> i think would you want it back no. you wouldn't I'll get a different car. I mean, if they could supply a different car. Well, if you got to get an insurance check for it or whatever. Oh, yeah, just go on here. I'm pretty sure that you could get something for that. Known, and you known police reports? Yeah, absolutely. Among their findings was a white mother of pearl button in the passenger side floorboard. And if you remember, that was missing from one of the victim's blouses they found. They noted that the passenger side seatbelt buckle and attaching device were stained with what appeared to be blood. Mm. Looking further, several areas of both driver's seat and passenger seat were swabbed, tested chemically for blood, and the tests of which reacted positively. Mm. Blood samples had previously been obtained from Jennifer's Joseph's parents, and DNA had been extracted from those samples. Results of the DNA comparisons between the blood from Joseph's parents and the bloodstains found inside the Corvette closely match, resulting in extremely high likelihood that the bloodstains inside the Corvette were from a child of the Josephs. Mm. Also, the detectives determined that the white button found inside the Corvette was indistinguishable from a button on the blouse recovered from Jennifer Joseph's body. Mm. Same factory, same production line, same fucking button. Yates was their man. There was no longer any doubt yeah, about it. Yeah, they got him, bro. On Tuesday, April 18th, 2000, Robert L. Yates Jr. was arrested for the murder of Jennifer Joseph. A search warrant executed at the time of his arrest enabled authorities to obtain blood samples from Yates. The subsequent DNA analysis was found to match the DNA profiles of sperm samples taken from victims Scott, Johnson, Wason, McClanahan, Mercer, Oster, Mabid, and Durning. Detectives also went to Yates' home where they noted species of plants that were identical to the vegetation that had been covering the bodies of victims, Wason, McClanahan, and Mabin. They also found in plain view at his home pieces of broken concrete, wood with white paint peeling off it, peanut shells, rocks, and cherry pits, all of which were present from the sites where the aforementioned victims were found, which was used to try and conceal their bodies. They also found several packing peanuts strewn about the yard. That was weird. Packing peanuts? Oh, styrofoam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that, that, that is weird. That's a little strange. Yeah, that is, that is fucking weird. What's, what's with this motherfucker? He's a creep. Yeah. On April 25th, 2000, a latent fingerprint that had been developed from a plastic bag found on Sean McClanahan's head was matched to Robert Yates Jr., At another point following Yates' arrest, the detectives located and seized a number of vehicles that Yates had previously owned, including a black 1979 Ford van that had orange-yellow stripes on the passenger side that had been painted over with black house paint. Mm. So I'm sure after the heat was turned on about the Smith one, the one where she was shot when she thought she was hit, uh, the black van with the orange stripe, that's the only thing she could remember. So he probably went right out to Home Depot and got himself... Got himself a a can of black paint. The van had bucket seats and a raised bed-like platform in the rear covered in carpet. Numerous stains were found inside the van that reacted positively to chemicals used to identify blood. Detectives also found a spent Magtech 25 caliber bullet casing, the same brand and caliber of ammo used in the murders of Johnson, Wason, McClenahan, Oster, Mabin, Ellis, and Mercer. They also found a spent bullet in the roof track above the windshield. Yates, now 48 years old, was now charged with eight counts of first-degree murder in the shooting deaths of Spokane area prostitutes, was suspected in the deaths of as many as 18 women, Mm -hmm. possibly more. He was also charged with first-degree attempted murder and first-degree burglary in connection with the assault on Christine Smith. He was held without bond, 
initially pleaded not guilty to all charges. Of course he did. Yates was subsequently charged with two counts of first-degree murder in Pierce County, Tacoma ones, Mm -hmm. for the slayings of Connie LaFontaine and Melinda Mercer. Mm -hmm. He pleaded not guilty as well. Prosecutors in both jurisdictions, 300 miles apart, indicated that they were they were certainly seeking the death penalty. Mm, he not finna get out of Spokane. I fucking hope not. <laughs> On Monday, October 16th, 2000, faced with the insurmountable evidence against him and the almost certainty of receiving the death penalty if convicted, Yates, through his attorneys, announced mm. he was ready to make a deal. In exchange for receiving life in prison, Yates said that he was willing to plead guilty to 13 counts of first-degree murder and one count of attempted first-degree murder, but would not plead guilty to the charges facing him in Pierce County. He also said he would lead cops to an unknown-about victim named Melody Murphin. See, Melody Murphin was a 43-year-old known drug addict that was last seen on May 20th, 98. After prosecutors agreed to his terms, Yates sketched out a map of the yard of his home on a yellow legal pad. Detectives spent about two hours digging up portions of the yard before they found what they were looking for. Melody Murphin's remains buried about eight inches below the surface in a bark-covered flower bed near what used to be Yates' bedroom window. It was about one foot away from the house's foundation, so pretty much right outside his window. Two weeks later, Yates kept his word and pled guilty to 13 of the murders that the task force had been investigating. Before his sentence was meted out, Yates claimed he felt remorse for the crimes he had committed. He said the following amid hissing and jeers in the courtroom. I've taken away the love, the compassion, the tenderness of your loved ones, and left in that place grief and bitterness. In my struggle to overcome my guilt and shame, I have turned to God. I hope that God will replace your sorrow with peace. No. Yates was then sentenced to 408 (laughs) years in prison for one of the worst murder sprees in U.S. history. Man. In 2001, Yates was charged in Pierce County for those Mm. other two. The prosecution sought the death penalty for the Mm. deaths of Melinda Mercer Mm -hmm. and Connie Ellis, Mm. which were thought to be linked to the killings in Spokane. On September 19, 2002, Yates was convicted of those murders and sentenced to death by lethal injection. On October 3rd, 2002. So fuck your fucking plea deal down there. This isn't down there and there's nothing you can give me. Well, I'm pretty sure that's probably why they even let him go through with that Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. 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 We'll protect you. Yeah, but we can't do nothing down there. And they got we getting you to them to evidence. That's right. That's fucking right. The 2002 death sentence was appealed on grounds that Yates believed his 2000 plea bargain to be all-encompassing. So he thought that included those deaths. The arguments were rejected in 07 by the Washington Supreme Court. A September 19, 2008 execution date was stayed by Chief Justice Jerry Alexander pending additional appeals. So he just kept appealing, kept appealing. Like everybody else. Yates remains incarcerated at the Washington State Pen. His case was further complicated by Washington Governor Jay Inslee's 2013 declaration that he would not sign death warrants for anyone on death row while he was in office. Inslee cited the high cost of the appeals process, the randomness with which death sentences are sought, and a lack of evidence that the penalty serves as a deterrent to other criminals. In July 2015, The Washington Supreme Court once again rejected an effort by Yates to overturn his conviction and death sentence. After the Washington State Supreme Court ruled in 2018 that the death penalty violated the state constitution, Yates' sentence was commuted to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Mm -hmm. So he escaped the fucking needle yet again. He did. And he's still alive. He's still alive. Washington State Prison. Look. And he doesn't have to worry that his death is a date on the calendar anymore. And that sucks. I'm not saying that you don't kill people or not kill people. But for serial killing, yeah. You got bodies. Yeah. Like serial killing. No. Like Like you were convicted of 13. They think you did 19. Yeah. You deserve a needle going through you. In not regular senses, you know, you got hitmans. Because they just hitmans. Yeah, there's no passion to it. Yeah, they just want to get the money. But this, this is something else. Like, you you, you, you deranged. What'd you think of Robert Yates? Well, I wonder where did he slip up at? Because I thought he was just smart and then he ended up just being dumb. 
He did, probably slipped up the most. He, yeah. He probably slipped up the most by leaving Connie Ellis alive. What did you think of the story? Of course, it was amazing. But, well, you know what I mean. Not yeah. him. Yeah. But greatly, great, great written. And uh, oh. this, like I said, I wonder what this motherfucker slipped up, though. Yeah. Well, listen, everybody. Yeah. We'd like to thank you all for uh, stopping by, hanging yeah. out with your boys. I've been Adam. Mm, A-bomb. That's been H-bomb. H-bomb. Uh, you know, you know, we're going to be back soon. Yeah. yeah. Sooner rather than later, boys. This is, we're rolling. Mm-hmm. Rolling like James Brolin in here. Josh Brolin. I looked up like, who the hell is You got me. So, all right, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thanks a lot. Bumblebutt Pocket Cast X. We love you. Bye. Bye.